Episode 26 of Beyond the Desk, the podcast of West Dallas Public Library. We're celebrating our two-year anniversary of the podcast by discussing the Alex Stern series by Lee Bardugo. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sarah. And I'm Desiree. And we're going to talk about the Alex Stern series by Lee Bardugo today. The first book is Ninth House, and her second book, Hellbent, came out this year, 2023. I read Ninth House when it first came out, and it came out in 2019, so it's been a while. There was a big cliffhanger at the end of Ninth House, and I've been waiting for Hellbent to come out. Mm-hmm. Before I read Hellbent, I decided to listen to the audiobook of Ninth House so I could refresh my memory, because it felt like such a long time. I would recommend the audiobook. I thought it was good. They have two readers. One person reads Alex's parts, and then the chapters that are narrated by Darlington are read by another narrator, and I thought they both did a really good job. Hmm. Ninth House is, I heard it described as the secret history meets Harry Potter, which I think is pretty accurate if you're familiar with those books. So Ninth House is, I would say, equal parts fantasy and mystery. What do you think, Desiree? I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked that mix. And it's focused on Galaxy Alex Stern, who is recruited by Lethe House. They're the ninth house of the title. The ninth house is sort of the police of the other eight houses of the Vale. And those are secret societies on Yale's campus. The secret societies are real, so they're not so secret. People know about them. (laughs) There are famous people who have been in the secret societies, like Jodie Foster and presidents. I think both George Bushes were in different secret societies. The difference in Ninth House is that the secret societies all practice different kinds of magic, which Mm -hmm. is really fun and cool. The reason that Alex is recruited to be part of Lethe is that she can see ghosts and she has been able to since she was a young girl and she didn't even know at first when she was young that these were ghosts. She just didn't recognize that not everybody could see them. And she kind of learns the hard way. She's had some trauma in her past with ghosts. And they're called Greys in the book. Darlington, who is her guide, he's been part of Lethe, and he's helping Alex take over. Darlington is pretty jealous that Mm. Alex can see Greys because he has to take what is medicine or a drug to be able to see Greys, and she can just see them all the time. Mm -hmm. And so she's special, 
it also kind of establishes her as this outsider because Lethe wants her to work for them and to kind of manage the different secret societies, like make sure that they're not harming anybody in their practicing of magic. She gets accepted into Yale, not because she is gifted academically, but because she can see grays and Lethe wants her. And so she has this imposter syndrome, basically. She doesn't quite belong there. It's not like she got in on her own merit from her grades. Right, she has not been academically successful in the past and Mm -hmm. is in fact a recovering drug addict. So the life she lived in LA is far different from the life she's now living at Yale. Yes, and you can understand why she turned to drugs because she has been seeing ghosts her whole life Mm -hmm. and she can't really confide in anybody about it and she turned to drugs to help cope. So we learn a little bit more about her background as the story goes along, but we don't know all about it as we start out. The other incident that occurs early on in Ninth House is that Tara Hutchinson is found dead, and it's a question of was she killed, who killed her, who's responsible. Is it possible that one of the Houses of the Veil is responsible? Alex is supposed to be investigating that and working with Abel Turner. He's a police officer who is also employed by Lethe. So she's trying to figure out if the houses are involved. Turner doesn't seem to think that the houses are involved. And then Dean Sandow is the, I don't know, head of Lethe. And he is also discouraging Alex from investigating further. Mm -hmm. And she isn't quite convinced that the houses don't have something to do with Tara's death. And part of the reason she is interested in making sure that they don't have anything to do with it is that I think, in a way, Alex might identify a little bit with Tara. Tara's also an outsider. They call her a townie, which just means that she doesn't have anything to do with Yale. She's not a student or a faculty member, but she lives in New Haven. And it seems like people on the campus and Dean Sando and other people who are either part of Yale or Lethe or the houses just aren't all that interested in how she died because she's not really part of the campus or mm-hmm. part of the houses. So that's kind of where things start. There's the mystery of what happened to Tara. And then there are all these really cool scenes I really liked in Ninth House, the scene where Darlington and Alex are going to this party where there are all kinds of people who are practicing magic and you get to see it firsthand. They're not supposed to do this, but they get Darlington to fall under the spell of what is going on and he's quite embarrassed. But I really liked that scene. I thought it was interesting to see the magic that is being practiced. Which, speaking of, the first house is Skull and Bones, and they practice divination by reading entrails of animals or humans. Their influence is garnered through the specific predictions gained from these prognostications, such as stock tips and World Cup results. (laughs) Scroll and Key is another house. They're called the Locksmiths, and they specialize in astral projection and portal magic. And their magic is useful in traveling long distances and into secure buildings. And I'm getting these descriptions from a fan site. (laughs) Book and Snake practices necromancy and divination through bone conjuring. Information from their network of dead informants are passed to interested parties. Mm. 
Wolf's Head, which I will note is the one that Leigh Bardugo is a part of. But she is in the secret society, obviously. <laughs> she went to Yale. Wolf's Head, the House of the Veil, practices shape-shifting into animals, particularly on retaining human consciousness when transformed. Their specialization lends itself to animal espionage and information gathering. Aurelian practices logomancy, word binding and divination through language. Their magic is commonly used to create unbreakable contracts and binding vows, but can also accomplish inspiration spells and hound dog castings. St. Elmo's practices elemental weather magic. In its heyday, St. Elmo's manipulated weather conditions, summoning storms and droughts for various reasons. Manuscript practices mirror magic, illusions, and glamours. Their influence can be found in their ability to manipulate perception on a wide range of scale. And finally, Brazilius believes the only true magic is science, and Lethe House doesn't bother policing Brazilius because their delegates never donate to Lethe for their service. I remember St. Elmo's is one of the lesser houses. Yes, because they lost their magical hotspot in other words. Yes. <laughs> what did you like about the books? I really liked that it was, as you mentioned, this 50-50 split of fantasy and mystery. I liked how there was the real world of Yale, and then running parallel to that is this world of magic. When I picked up Shadow and Bone to read because I had enjoyed Ninth House so much, I actually didn't end up reading it because it was all fantasy. It didn't take place in our world. That's what I actually really liked about these books, Mm -hmm. is that they take place in our world but then there's the magic component that expands our world Mm-hmm. I liked how dark the magic was, and I liked how dark some of the themes were. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised. I liked Darlington a lot, and the mentor-mentee relationship between him and Alex. And to touch on one of the things that you mentioned, the dark themes, these two books are Lee Bardugo's books for adults, and her other books that she's written were young adult books. And I think that part of why they were marketed as adult books, these books, is that there are darker themes. There's sexual trauma and violence, and I could see where that might be. I mean, some YA books do have that kind of thing. Like I think of Firekeeper's Daughter. There was trauma in there and violence against women, but I think it makes sense that Ninth House and Hellbent were marketed for adults. Yeah, because I would say all of the violence is pretty explicit. Yes. But it's not overly violent. A lot of that is done in flashback when we are finding out what happened in L.A. before Alex came to Yale. Part of really why she came to Yale, too, it's kind of to escape all of that that happened before. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel gratuitous in any way. No, I didn't think it felt gratuitous either. Well, you mentioned you liked Darlington. Can you talk a little bit more on why you liked him? Well, I know that he wasn't British, but in my mind he was very much like a British gentleman. I also pictured him older, even though I know he's in his 20s. (laughs) He's very curious and very passionate, and I would say he's more of a rule follower than Alex. Mm -hmm. I liked his tragic past. He had a very difficult childhood. 
and I thought that made his character interesting. I definitely think there's something between the two of them. Alex and Darlington are attracted to each other, but so far they're not pursuing that romantic interest. Yeah, I like both of their senses of humor. I feel like Darlington had a very dry wit, mm-hmm. and then Alex was like more sarcastic. Mm-hmm. So I liked some of the banter between them. Yeah, I liked his character too. And like I said, I really liked in the audiobook that somebody read his parts because it made him feel a little bit more real to mm-hmm. have his own voice. Mm-hmm. And one of the heartbreaking things about Ninth House is that he's lost for a good portion of it so his parts are also told in flashback there's kind of two Mm -hmm. layers so we don't know what happened to him and hellbent is really about alex and some of the other characters trying to rescue darlington Mm -hmm. because as it turns out he's stuck in hell Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot going on there's the storyline of North, who's a ghost, who forms a connection between Alex and himself. He was killed, and so was his bride, Daisy. Mm-hmm. And he wants to find out where she is. He's never seen her ghost, and he wants to know what happened to her. And people think that North killed his fiance or bride, but he says he was innocent. He didn't do that. So there's that storyline. There's also the storyline of Blake, who is using magic that he has gotten from one of the houses to influence women and take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. It turns out that one of his victims is Mercy, one of Alex's roommates, and so she feels like she really wants to right this wrong. And there is a connection. So she's doing her job, which is policing the houses, but then she's also doing this for her friend, her roommate. So I'm just curious, were you surprised about anything that happened in Ninth House? Yeah, there's a few different plot lines, but unlike in some other fantasies and mysteries, I feel like there weren't too many. It was like the perfect amount to keep track of, and they all intersect in very surprising ways. The Blake storyline, and also some of what happened in L.A., Alex's character kind of reminded me of Elizabeth Salander, Mm -hmm. both in how they present themselves, attitude and looks, mm-hmm. and how they deal with trauma. <laughs> when Alex finds out that Blake Keeley has assaulted Mercy and recorded it, she takes revenge. And I enjoyed the way she took revenge. I was worried she was going to take revenge in the same way Elizabeth Salander took revenge, which is just a little too dark even for me. Um, <laughs> So I like that she put a creative twist on it, just made him do something really disgusting. That's a good comparison. I didn't think of that when I was reading it, but you're right. Alex has the very dark hair. She dresses all in black. She has the tattoo sleeves. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Hellbent? To me, Hellbent was a little bit lighter on the mystery than Ninth House. 
Yes, I would say it was lighter on the mystery. I enjoyed it. There's a part that sticks out to me most, and that's the part where they go to hell, mm -hmm. and Alex has to gather this band of people to get through the gauntlet, mm -hmm. and they all have to be murderers. Yes. There's a part where they first enter hell, and they all experience each other's memories. Yes. And I loved that part. Me too. I thought that was really good. The main storyline of Hellbent is Alex and these other characters attempting to go to hell to rescue Darlington. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there are some murders on the Yale campus of faculty members, but that just seems to be a little bit more in the background mm -hmm. um, versus Tara's death was more in the foreground mm -hmm. in Ninth House. And I too really love those scenes because you think this is horrible. All these people have killed people. But then when you learn the circumstances of what happened, they become a little bit more sympathetic, I think. Mm -hmm. And just the way those parts were written, and I think the way both books are written in general was just so well done. I agree. Um, just yeah. excellent writing. Mm -hmm. And so those parts were especially poignant, mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah, I think these books are mysteries and fantasies, but they also are really beautifully written. I mm -hmm. think she does do a nice job. Sometimes some of the comparisons, the similes and metaphors that she made, I would have to stop and think, that's a really good way of describing that. Mm -hmm. That's part of why I enjoy these books as well. The other thing that was different between the first book and the second book is in the first book we're pretty much focused on magic and even though nobody's called a witch or a wizard, it's just similar to what witches and wizards would do, practicing magic. In Hellbent, we also get exposed to demons and to vampires mm -hmm. and I thought that was really interesting. They call Darlington the gentleman demon and then it's really unexpected that this vampire shows up in the storyline that's very scary when he does Alex encounters him I'm also looking forward to how that character is involved in maybe the next book because I feel like he has to be yeah so I feel like books and movies they're so saturated with vampires and all the different versions of vampires and everyone has their own spin but what I really loved about this vampire was he was scary to me mm -hmm. and I don't usually get that a lot of time they're romanticized, like somebody's in love with a vampire. and Yeah, often romanticized, and this vampire was just, I found it very chilling. I do like how different authors have different vampire lore, mm -hmm. and so I find it interesting. And so this is kind of a spoiler, but vampires are actually demons? They're a type of demon. They're yes. a type of demon in this world. Yeah. So that, for me, was a new take. Mm -hmm. on vampires. I also wanted to point out that part of the reason I enjoyed these books so much is that they are very gripping. It's like you can't put them down. I had a hard time putting them down. Like I read both of them pretty quickly because I just wanted to find out what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're looking for that kind of suspenseful mm -hmm. look, definitely check these out.
Yeah, and I think they're paced really well. Mm-hmm. Alex Darlington and Detective Turner all have their roles within Lethe, and then Pamela Dawes is known as Oculus, and she is the caretaker, but also a researcher. She's a researcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's sort of their mother hen because she has not just medicine, but she likes to cook, so she'll have food for them when they come back from either observing one of the rituals that one of the houses does or Alex herself has encountered ghosts and other monsters that have affected her pretty significantly so when she comes back to the house which is also it's interesting how that is described as like it knows who the people are and it likes them or doesn't like them it responds to them as if it's a person And when Alex returns, Dawes always has food for her. Darlington's favorite soup was Afgolamano soup, so she would always make that for him. Mm -hmm. I think she's very different from Alex, but they form a bond, a friendship, and it's nice to see that blossom over the course of the series. Yes, I feel like in Hellbent there was a lot more Alex and Pamela, and I really enjoyed that. And another thing about the house is that library. It's like a magical library where you write down what you're looking for in a journal of some type, and then you open the door and all of the materials will be there. (laughs) Yes, you don't need a librarian in this library. No. (laughs) Although it's a little finicky, so you have to be very specific. You definitely don't always get what you want if you don't ask for it the right way. Right. What did you think of the journal entries that were at the beginning of some, if not all, of the chapters? I thought that was kind of a fun element. So it's all people who used to be in Lethe and had either the role of Dante, which is what Alex's role is, or Virgil which she becomes when Darlington leaves. Darlington was her Virgil. And I thought they were fun because there is a kind of nerdy element to these books. I mean, it's part of dark academia, if you follow that. And I thought interspersing these quote-unquote historic documents Mm -hmm. was really fun and playful. And because Darlington is really interested in history too, he talks about some of these characters to Alex. And so then you get to read some of the entries from these people directly and it lets you know that there have always been these mysterious goings on and Alex is going through it but these other people before her also had to figure things out you can get so much from the guidebooks and everything mm-hmm. but then what they actually encounter they have to kind of use their wits and their instincts mm-hmm. so I really liked that part sometimes it would make me laugh some of the excerpts from journals. Yeah, I liked them too. Another thing I liked that we didn't really mention in detail is some of the spells or ceremonies that different houses do. Mm -hmm. One that sticks in my mind is the one where they raise a corpse and it scuttles around and like spells things out. A general is questioning it. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really cool the way it was described and how disturbing it was and Alex often met 
mentions that magic is very dark. Mm -hmm. I know that it was optioned to turn into a TV or movie, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they do it because there's a lot of potential for it to be really cool. Mm -hmm. I will say that I had read Bardugo's Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom duology, and that was part of her Grisha verse, which Shadow and Bone is also part of that, but the characters were different. And they combined those two to have a series on Netflix, and I wasn't really into it. I really liked Six of Crows. I thought that was enjoyable. It's like a heist story. It mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of Ocean's Eleven. Like, I could totally see it as a movie, and it would have been a really cool movie, but the way they chose to adapt it, they made it a series. I felt like it could have been a cool movie. I thought it was a little disappointing that they decided to mash these together and make a series. Yeah. I feel like there's enough plot in just Ninth House that you could make it a series, like maybe a six-part series or something Mm -hmm. like that. If they decide to do it as a series versus a movie, I hope they do it justice. (laughs) Yeah. I usually prefer series because you get more detail, and I think a lot of the imagery in the book would lend itself really well to the screen. Mm -hmm. They could do a lot of really cool things. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of that too when they go to hell, the way it's described and Mm-hmm. They all look different in hell, too. They get, like, armor or something. Oh, yeah, because they have different roles in the descent to hell, or however you want to call it, the journey. One is the academic, right? And one is the soldier, and one is, I forgot what all the other ones are. So, yeah, they end up kind of having costumes, for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah. <laughs> While they're down there, when they get back, they get these salt animals. Alex has snakes. Oh, Turner yeah. has a tree. Dawes has a primate. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's just so much world building. And like you were saying, there's a lot of potential for it to be visually interpreted. I would, I would mm-hmm. really like to see it done well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you already mentioned one read alike, which is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. True. Because I think, that, I think that is a good comparison. And it does deal with violence against women, which is a theme in these books, too. Yeah, a very prevalent theme. Yeah. As far as other read-alikes, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, I think, would be a good one. And in fact, just to plug the next podcast, we're going to talk about that book. Megan and I are going to reread The Secret History. It's a book that takes place on a college campus and it is moody and maybe what started dark academia and it's consistently referenced like Mm. if you like the secret history and so it just has the staying power and it'll be interesting to reread that and discuss that is it fantasy as well it's not fantasy there is a mystery suspense Mm. to it and it's about a group of students who are really interested in the greek classics and somebody dies and it's really cool. So we'll talk more about that next time. The Cloisters is a book that I recently read. It came out late in 2022. It's by Katie Hayes. This one is a mystery. Interestingly, The Cloisters was described as Ninth House meets the secret history. (laughs) It definitely is part of this dark academia genre. The Cloisters felt a little bit more academic to me versus Ninth House in comparison because 
Alex isn't really focused on her academics. She's focused on the mysteries and the magic. Mm -hmm. But in the Cloisters, the main character is an art history student. She had recently graduated with her degree, and she gets an internship at the Cloisters, which is part of the Met in Manhattan. And she is researching how some people in the Renaissance may have used tarot cards to predict the future. And she finds this secret tarot deck and she is working with a curator at the cloisters it's his research project and then she has a colleague that she becomes fast friends with and the gardener who works there is kind of mysterious but she's also attracted to him so she gets involved (laughs) with him and i think if you like the secret history or ninth house i think you'll like the cloisters and it made me go out and buy a deck of tarot cards which i never thought i would (laughs) another book that i think you might like is the immortalists that came out in 2018 by chloe Benjamin. This is more of a suspense novel. I wouldn't really call it a mystery. Four siblings, when they're young, go to a tarot card reader and she individually has sessions with them and tells them the day they're going to die. And then each section of the novel is told from the point of view of one of the siblings. It definitely deals with fate. How much do our decisions and choices, how much do we really have a say in what happens to us and how much is fate and that's a lot of what the cloisters is also dealing with a discovery of witches from 2011 by deborah harkness is a fantasy it has witches and demons and vampires and it does have a witch vampire romance (laughs) (laughs) a discovery of witches is the first one in a trilogy i haven't actually read the books but i did watch the tv series there's three seasons of it it stars matthew good and Teresa palmer as diana bishop she is an academic a researcher and she goes to a research library and encounters a book and discovers that she is a witch the series is really good i would really recommend it i really liked the romance between the two leads in the first season in particular and the first season i thought was really good we have all three seasons here at the library so if you are interested i would recommend that or of course going to the books the magicians by lev grossman came out in 2009 and i think if you like these books you might like that one as well it's about a group of students who attend a college of magic and that one is the first in a trilogy and finally the library of the dead which came out in 2021 by T.L. Huchu is the first in a fantasy series about Ropa, a 14-year-old girl who drops out of school and works as a ghost talker, taking messages from the recently dead to their families for a fee. Mm. There's also a mystery involving missing children, and Ropa asks her friend who works in a magical library for help. So it's kind of cool. All these books have libraries and archives and Mm -hmm. nerdy fun. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) So yeah, that's what I have as far as read-alikes go. 
the Raven Boy series by Maggie Stiefvater. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. What it, is that about? It's about a group of high school age boys and this girl. So there's like magic, there's ley lines and ghosts and you find out one of the characters can bring things back from his dreams. Oh, that's cool. The, yeah, I've only read the first one and I started reading the second and actually the main guy in the first one kind of reminded me. Kind of like a Darlington type. Mm-hmm. Kind of a golden boy. Very curious and he's the one who discovers the ley lines. I was going to tell you because I know you like twists. The Cloisters has a twist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you might like that one. The last question I have for you is do you think you'll read the next book in the Alex Stern series? I think so. Yeah. I want there to be more Turner, actually. I really? I really like Detective Turner. He definitely had more of a part in the second book. Mm-hmm. And I would enjoy more of the Gentleman Demon. And Alex, of course. Yeah. I'm very interested to see what happens to Alex. I thought it was funny how they pretend, I think, that she's an art student. Yeah, that's why she's at Yale, because she's this very talented artist, which she's not in reality. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, do a spell or something where she... I forget what it is. Yeah, you're right. They, like, create a portfolio for her. Yeah, there's some sort of spell and then she could draw or paint or whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting how Alex was presented. She has no academic skill. <laughs> not that she's not smart, but it's no. like she's very much like street smart. Yes, absolutely. And I think part of the reason why she wasn't successful academically is because of all the trauma from her childhood. Yeah. And it was, I think, hard to concentrate in school seeing ghosts. <laughs> So I asked Liam this on the last podcast because he went to Yale and his latest book has a scene at Yale. So I asked him if he was familiar with these books and he had read the first one. Mm. And I said, what magic would you practice if you could practice magic? So I'm going to ask you that same question. Not (laughs) shape-shifting. Probably the astral projection and portal magic. Okay. Where would you go with the portal magic? Out of the United States. Yeah. I feel like, don't they use it to go to like mountaintops and things like that? It would make sense. Well, I shouldn't say who would want to climb a mountain because there are people <laughs> who do. But if you don't want to do the climbing of a mountain and just get to the height of it. Manuscript with their mirror magic and illusions. I um, thought that was very useful in the series. Yeah. You basically capture someone's image in a like a little compact mirror, and when you hold it up, the person sees that person, mm-hmm. and she <laughs> did it with Tom Brady at least <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah, I thought that would be useful and kind of fun, and also the coin of compulsion that she oh, uses is useful when she's investigating and she needs somebody to do something like let her into the morgue at one point yeah i enjoyed those i enjoyed having like a physical kind of tool Mm -hmm. and then it having a spell i also thought it was cool that she got to use some of the magic because the other houses are the ones that practice magic and lethe is the police of the houses so you wouldn't think that she would necessarily get to practice magic but i liked that she did get to I feel like the magic that Lethe does is they just do like wards and protection magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To like keep things contained. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, yeah, the extent of. I liked the one where 
Oh, they have a bird and it craps down a woman's throat. It's like a pop singer. Do you remember that part? Yeah, I thought that was disgusting. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and Alex is like, yeah, this is magic. It's gross. <laughs> well, on that note, I've enjoyed talking about the Alex Stern series with you. Thanks for reading them with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Desk. You can find the book titles we discussed in the show notes. Please rate this podcast or leave a review. Tune in again next month when Megan joins me to talk about The Secret History by Donna Tartt and the joy of rereading. That's all for this episode. See you next time.